This episode is brought to you by Prime Video's incredible new film, 13 Lives, based on the gripping true story of the 2018 Thai cave rescue. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know of this story from my all-time favourite episode with Dr. Richard Harris in episode 102. And now you can watch it unravel from August 5th. What I've come to realise is I'm really chosen. That's my theme in my life. Like The fact that we were chosen from Australian parents that never met us before yeah, and we had not done anything to earn it, is the definition of grace. No one thinks about identity more than an adoptee, in my view. I think adoptees all think about identity all the time. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. Beautiful neighborhood. You may have noticed that the Yavidsons are over in Italy at the moment for the extraordinary wedding of one of our past guests, Blair James, co-founder of iconic Aussie empire Bondi Sands, and his new wife, Melanie Adams, or Melanie James, should I say. If you've listened to his episode, you'll know about his humble beginnings in a tiny country town of Victoria and how incredible his pathier has been to Lake Como here today. And if you haven't already heard that story, go back and have a listen and a stalk of the wedding, let the James begin. I've never seen anything so beautiful. But of course, I made sure you have an episode in your ears and I'm so excited about today's. It is a very special one to me on adoption. Following our anonymous Q&A a couple of weeks ago, some of you may remember that I was at an event recently and was partnered with a legend named Matt Purcell from Sydney, who I had never met before and somehow we figured out we were not only both adopted and both adopted from South Korea, but adopted from the same orphanage around the very same time. I often talk about my adoption, but really with someone with the same unique cultural experience that we have. And this was so special to realize things about how I felt that I didn't even know myself. And to hear Matt's perspective now that he has his own biological children just blew my mind. He's also got an amazing business and career pathier as well, which you'll hear all about, but I'll let you hear it from the man himself. I hope you enjoy listening and that we answered all of your questions from the anonymous Q&A, but please feel free to submit any more that you have. Introducing to the neighborhood, Matt Purcell. Matt Purcell, aka brother from another mother, which is actually possible. Welcome to Seize the A. Oh my God. Hello, sister from another mister, or maybe the same mister. <laughs> <gasps> How bizarre. How bizarre. I know. I know. It was a special day. And I do feel like we made a good news story together. We see a lot of people, you know, losing their houses, the economy or COVID, and then just meeting each other was a beautiful time. You know, like, you're from Eastern Welfare. Wasn't it? I'm from Eastern Welfare. You're Asian, but you're Korean. You're adopted. Ah! <laughs> 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 so for those who don't know, although it seems like a lot of you did kind of catch wind of the story, Matt and I, we don't live in the same state no. and we have a lot of like mutual friends, but we didn't know this at the time. And we both turned up at this activation for zero, an incredible, incredible tool. If anyone has a, a business, I don't even know how I would do business without it. But we both turned up and we were paired together, having never met before and the people at Zero who organized it also not knowing any of this. And we figured out within like the first 30 seconds that we were both adopted from the same orphanage in Korea. <laughs> what the actual fuck? I know. Like, what do you mean? I know. I don't know what the, it's very, I mean, yeah, yeah I, I think there's what, 7 billion people on the planet. And then if you look at the population in Australia, we're luckily two of them in out of 26 million it's like a 0.0000000 something to even be here let alone be adopted from that same place and what what year were you born i mean you might not want to disclose that but 
uh, was it late? Oh. Was it late? Please? I mean, ninety-seven. Can't you tell from my skin? Oh, I could have said, <laughs> could have said sixty-eight actually, and you would still look good. <laughs> I think it's the Asian vampire genes that you get, and then you hit sixty-two, and then you just. <laughs> Something happens. Sultana. It's Sultana. <laughs> That's so right. <laughs> Something happens. The skin gets tight for so many years and it's like I've had enough. Jab of the heart. It's crazy, isn't it? So this is something we definitely need to talk about, the fact that we have like so many benefits of Asian genetics without necessarily feeling Asian in our brains. So it's like this, like I've spoken about this before on the podcast, but never with someone else who comes from that same quirky, very unique situation. So even just for us to have met and be able to talk about it, we were trying to do our actual job and like experience the thing, <laughs> yeah. but we were also like, oh my God, when were you born? And we were born like a year apart. Mm. So you were 88, yeah. right? And I'm 89. So like our parents could have literally crossed paths. Like it's so bizarre. I know, it's crazy. And I've got to ask you a question. Like when you look in the mirror, when I look in the mirror, I don't see an Asian dude. Like I don't go, oh, I don't think about it. Me? I don't see an Asian dude either. (laughs) Oh, my God. No, no, I genuinely don't. All the time, I forget, like all the time. And then sometimes I'll just catch myself in a – at an angle that look like where I look more Asian than I usually do if that's possible. And I'm like, oh, wait, that's That's me? Like what That's what I am. It's so bizarre. That's me. Like – I sometimes catch myself out going, that's right, I'm Asian on the outside. I say I've got Asian hardware. On the outside. The hardware's Asian, but the (laughs) strain software is there. So that's why I'm like. Totally. It's so weird. And it's so weird that like neither of us look even remotely not fully Asian. Like we're not even three quarters Caucasian, one quarter Asian, where you could genuinely forget that you look Asian. Like no one has ever been mistaken. (laughs) about me being Asian or not is what I'm saying. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's weird that we get surprised. I know. It's really strange. I don't know. What was it like growing up with that for you? I mean, I'll let you in if this is your, this is your show, but I... Yeah, I have so many questions. Okay, let's go to the beginning. Okay, so the bookend questions that will kind of like surround us any kind of CZA interview, even though I'm so excited to fill most of the middle with adoption chat. The first question for you to break the ice is what is the most down-to-earth thing about you? And you can't say adopted because everyone already knows that fact about you. But I know you're a dad, so I feel like maybe that'll break the ice. Like you get to work with some pretty incredible people, big names, who we'll, we'll talk about that later as well. But it would be easy to meet you and think on the outside that what you do is really glossy. Mm. So what's something really normal about you? I snore. Sometimes, Cute. nah, and not, I am a dad. I married my high school sweetheart when I was. We met when we were fourteen, so we married. Oh my gosh! Really? We married ten years. <gasps> See my wife; she's got blonde hair, blue eyes, and we've got halfy, halfy daughters. So, uh, oh my god! Yeah, that. You know what's really crazy, and I think we can get there soon. Like we will chat about this probably today. Is, that's my first blood relative I know of. Like my kids are like, that's that's it. So like for so many years I thought I can clearly see what's my Australian parents, n- the nurture part, but the nature part, I'm like everything mm-hmm. that's a gap between them and my gifts and things, that's got to be genetics. And I'm seeing my kids, wow. me and my kids, I'm like this is the this is the weirdest thing. They look like me. They they crack jokes like me they have the same anger problems like me sometimes like that's me no but wow (laughs) this is so interesting we haven't had kids yet so I haven't had that sort of conversion from never having anyone that looks like me to actually like that was the first question I asked you when I was like dude wait you have kids what is it like to have someone that looks like you? That's so cool. It's so special. Like it's more profound. I have to keep it to myself because my wife gets it. Like she's like she thinks I'm amazing because of where we've come from and to have uh, I guess been able to live a pretty straight life in a way, like a pretty good life despite so many challenges we've had, but having my own blood mm. it's something more profound. It's a level I never knew that I had in a depth I never knew I had and it makes me cry a lot because it's a beautiful 
I don't know, it's a connection to something that I never had before. So it's just, it's, I, I don't think a lot of people have that disconnect from blood. Sometimes, I mean, other adoptees would and foster care kids would, and I've helped a lot of them. But that was very special. You'll love it. You'll you absolutely oh. just crush over the kids. Oh, my God. I'll be on the phone to you, I'm sure. Like the first whole year I'll be like, but like no one gets it. Oh, my God. Stimba. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> literally. Literally. Oh, my God. So I, I feel like the best place to start before we kind of build up to you now having kids and going a bit more into that experience is to go back to the very beginning, like your very early days. And we took some questions in the last 24 hours on socials just to sort of see what people would be interested in. And I think more than any other guest, you know, we usually start at childhood and our memories. But in this situation, a lot of people wanted to know about our parents and particularly our mothers and what their journey was to adoption, mm. why they chose to adopt and and also how they chose Korea because it's, you know, it's natural to us. Like that's such an obvious thing because it's it's not foreign. It's we've grown up around it. But for other people, it's sort of like, oh, that's interesting. Like Australian couples chose Korea of all places. So mm. what was your family's story? Yeah, well, I've sent this to you, by the way, for the edit, but um, here's a picture of my mum. I have Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's my mum <gasps> holding me as a bubble fat baby. And the story of my mother and my dad, they um, are both, they're white people. <laughs> so we they're from Newcastle and it looks like they're- Oh my God, they're Novocastrians. Novocastrians. <gasps> Cute. I mean, I make a joke all the time of it. It sounds awful, but it's so true. Uh, being an Overcastrian and having two white parents, people probably just think, hey, little boy, are you kidnapped? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like not even funny because it is an unusual thing to see, especially in the 80s. Especially in the 80s. Yeah, my mum and dad, uh, my mother found out very early on that she couldn't have kids naturally. So, but she just wanted to be a mum. Obviously, she wanted to be a mum, and they did everything they could to look into getting having children and to like they were even foster parents for a time, and that was really challenging for them because you get some foster children get they're already grown up, you know, they're already twelve or something, and they come into your house. They went applied for international adoption, and Korea was one of the the major agencies that were promoting around the time so around your age and my age that was one of the main countries on the map but what i didn't realize and i really appreciate now is they had to go through four years of waiting and they paid thousands of dollars for this and they had to have owner house they had to have background checks they had to have a solid income and go to these set seminar dates and things like that to be eligible and then when a child became available, here's the kicker, you get you don't get to choose if they're healthy, what gender they are or what their parents' backgrounds were for, of the child. So they said, listen, we're going to try and talk you out of this. You could have a disabled child and do you still want to go through with it? And they're like, yeah, we definitely want to be parents. So already from the, from the outset, I mean, growing up now and hearing that, I'm like, wow, if you can have kids naturally, that's fantastic gift. Sometimes it's like people find it easy to do that and you don't have to jump through any of those hoops. But mm. when you're going through mm. what our parents had to go through, and I'm sure it was the same for you, that's a huge risk on their end. And it showed that that's what real love is, is that despite the risk of maybe not having a perfectly healthy child, I still say yes. It's so beautiful because you know – how much they have to have wanted you mm. to make it happen. Like my mum always says, it wasn't a nine-month pregnancy. It was like a nine-year pregnancy. Like the process of getting to even close to getting a child once she knew. Mum was similar. They worked out that they couldn't conceive naturally. Mum did IVF for a really long time, which was already extraordinarily expensive and so much on the body mm. and so counting that plus the four years of the social workers coming to live with you and and your finances getting vetted and sending money left right and center she's like it took nine years to get you so if you ever question that I didn't want you <laughs> I have nine years of my life <laughs> that I was effectively pregnant trying to have you so <laughs> oh. it is I think it's such a, a beautiful selfless thing because also they know that I mean 
there's a risk of having all kinds of things, even if you have your child naturally and you don't love them any less. And, you know, there's that connection. But with adoption, you get the child when they're sort of five or six months old. Mm. Like you don't have that innate like, oh, I birthed them. This just rando kid is just like, hi, I'm sort of, you know, had six months of my life and this is me. You're going to take me with all I've got going on. Like it's such a weird situation. Yeah, it's really weird. And it goes to show that adoptees are chosen and that's what I have as my theme of my life and that's what gives me value Mm. through all the changes and challenges I've had as a person that from the beginning I was chosen from – yeah. My Australian parents who look like Bill Clinton and Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so how old were you at the time when you were adopted? I was four months. Oh. How, how about you? Yeah, five. five. So similar age, which I think means our, our experience. I think just a sort of not disclaimer but just a note to anyone listening that the experience of people adopted as infants is infinitely different mm. to anyone who was, you know, old enough to have memories of their family beforehand or even as teenagers, like it's a completely different situation. So, you know, we're speaking from a a very infant level adoption. And I think to sort of wrap up that, that answer about why Korea, at the time, you know, there are only certain countries who were open Mm. for adoption and that changes every couple of years. So I think at least in my parents' situation, they, were just they just wanted to be parents, same as you were saying, Matt. And it was like, well, how can we do that? And the country that was open at the time was Korea. And I, I think they're actually closed at the moment and that it rotates around the world mm. and also depends on that country's relationship with Australia. So it wasn't sort of like let's pick Korea out of all of the countries. It was let's try and be parents, what's available at this point. Mm. And it just happened to be Korea. And, you know, I don't think they'd even been there before, which is even more like, wow, you just – we're so sure you wanted to be parents that you you had no you know what I mean? I just think it's magic. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. So one of the other questions we got was, did you have an instant connection with your adoptive family or did it take time? And then another person said a similar thing, but also because it for them they often felt a disconnect or like they didn't sort of belong. Mm. And I think I have to remind everyone here that we were infants. Mm. So I didn't have a connection to anyone else. Even if I did have a connection to my birth mother, I wouldn't have remembered that at five months old. So it's sort of a hard question to answer in that sense. Mm. But as I grew up, like what was your experience once you did kind of grow up? Oh, same. I think it's the same thing. It was you just love your mum and dad. Your mum and dad was the two white people that raised me, like my (laughs) mum and dad. They're your mum and dad. Yeah, Yeah. despite blood. And that didn't really bother me at all until they separated when I was six. So that's when it all yeah. changed for me. And then I started – and my sister, she's from Taiwan, not a blood relative, but she was four years younger than me and she's from Taiwan. This is awful. You can edit this out if you want. This is awful. <laughs> but my sister – my dad goes, your sister was more expensive. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, my mum always says, like, she's the most politically correct person in the entire world, but, like, you've got to make light of the weird uniqueness of your situation. She's always like, well, you know, lots of people say, oh, my kids are trouble or blah, 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 but, you know, I just shopped around. I just shopped around (laughs) until I found a good one. I'm like, mum, no, we don't say those things out loud. (laughs) Oh, oh, this one was on special to this one from from this country. Has my warranty run out? Like, can I send her back? Because she's just being a little shit. Like, when I was a teenager, she's like, you know what? If I if there was a yeah. returns policy right now, hmm, I'd be thinking about it. I'm like, mum, no. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what's really interesting? I actually – have you been back? Yes. So, that's my next question oh, for sorry. you. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. But before we get to that. Sorry. Um, yeah, it didn't bother me until my parents separated and then my mum – I live with my mum and my mum struggled. I mean, we struggled financially for years and then my dad eventually got a better job and he did well. So I was bouncing between waiting, you know, like as a child going, oh, my friends all have this stuff and mum saying mm-hmm. you're going to have to wait two months to you go into dad's house. He wants to spoil you all the time. But we moved house about 14 times as kids <gasps> with my mum's side. So I wasn't born with a silver spoon. I wasn't adopted with a silver spoon in my mouth. 
and and uh, <laughs> I was born with chopsticks. No, no, joke. There's all the Asian slurs. But I honestly think even meeting you, and I'll be interested to meet. I've actually met a, a handful of adoptees, not from Korea, but from other backgrounds. I spoke around at a conference in New Zealand on they're all adopted there. And it's interesting, a lot of them are high achievers. Mm. And I think no one thinks about identity more than an adoptee, in my view. I think adoptees oh. all think about identity all the time. Absolutely. Once they hit a certain age. And I think we, a lot of us go into achievement mode to, yeah, and I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that <laughs> definitely looks like what you've done. <laughs> You're a high achiever. I'm a high achiever. I wasn't good at school, by the way. I was a bit of a drop kick at school. I got an asterisk for my ATAR. An asterisk? That's the thing they give you when you get a mark so low. They just be like, don't give him the number. Just give him Stop an asterisk. Stop it. Stop it. No, that's a star. I, I call that a star. <laughs> You got a special star. (laughs) But it's interesting you said that. I totally agree that you grapple with concepts like identity earlier than anybody else. So you've had much more practice by the time you get to adolescence when it really hits sort of the average person. But a particularly cross-cultural adoption, you really have to get comfortable with being different. Mm. from very early and that's you know most kids they have a lot of their life blissfully ignorant of needing to fit in because they already do fit in whereas for us Mm. I feel like you have a really hard time earlier but that helps you build resilience later and then in terms of the hard work thing you also have this like overarching knowledge that things could have been different that you know everyone's lucky to grow up in Australia but we're extra lucky because we didn't start here. We got a second chance to to have this life. And so I feel like that yeah. drives a lot of that need to achieve and make the most of it, which is, you know, a blessing and a burden, at least for a lot of burnout, but also has led to a wonderful life. But before we do move on to that question that we were about to start before, one of the other questions was whether or not you ever wonder what your life would have been like if you weren't adopted. Oh, hell yeah. I had a different name. So when I went to visit a little bit before getting to it, when I went to visit the orphanage, the Eastern Child Welfare, they said my birth mother had named me already. And to me that hit me hard because I'm like, this is like a Hollywood story of a life, an identity that I actually had an identity. Like my name would have had a certain reputation with the family. And the reason why my mother passed me on was because she was worried about that name because she was fearful that her father would kick her out. So I would have had, she was a very uneducated woman, apparently like young woman. And I would have had a pretty tough time. I think we grew up in, I was born in a country area and she went to the city and dropped me off. So like, I think my life, it could have been like rejected by my birth granddad and struggle for a single mother, it would have been pretty tough. So Mm. her choice to say, listen, I think someone else can raise you better is a sacrifice that I'm really grateful for. And I think often throughout my life, I wish I could say to her, you, you, you did the right thing. Like I, you made the right choice. Thank you. Cause I think she would be, you never forget your kids. You'd be looking at the stars while not going, Oh my right. god, I'm getting really- <laughs> oh, yeah, it's pretty emotional actually. Um, oh. Yeah, I, I think you'd you'd look up the stars and be like, I hope I hope you ended all right. <laughs> Far out. I'm oh, really man. Um, hmm. That's really beautiful. Really beautiful. Yeah, so I, I think that would have been a different life. So that makes me really grateful with the one I have now. Mm. Sorry, I <laughs> got really. No, no, <laughs> I I think it's beautiful that. There's a place where we can talk about stuff like this as well in a way that you don't often explore it that often because like this level depth reflection, there's not many people you can reflect with about it because it is such a mm-hmm. unique scenario to think about this this person out there who who might be thinking of you still and I don't actually know what my birth mother's situation was but I I, I mean in most cases the logic is that you were put up for adoption for a reason and that's probably not going to be the most rainbow type story. And looking back at Korea in the 80s, you know, there were like really heavy stigmas around having children in certain situations and for girls as well, like young, like 
women, well, young girl children, girl children, girl children, is that a thing? Yeah, young girl (laughs) children, young girls. (laughs) You know, they were not, like if you weren't from a good family or if you had been raised in an orphanage, there was no access to education or Korea was a third world country at the time. It's amazingly developed now, but in the 80s it was Mm. very different. And I often think like my grandmother, my adopted grandmother used to cry thinking, that the sex trade existed at the time, that there was trafficking, like there was all kinds of things that in a parallel universe could have been our life and it's just bizarre. And then to humanise that, to think there's an actual person out there who wanted us to have better and still might look at the stars and think about us, just, oh, God, it's so, I don't even know how to describe that feeling. Mm. So you don't know much about your your background, I mean, the reasons? Did you get a, a little story or anything? No. So the next question was about like going back and finding your biological parents. Mm. And I guess the first question there is, so you've obviously been back, but the first question is for a lot of Korean adoptees, you sort of have your birth parents and then they put you up for adoption and then your family here can pay for you to be fostered in the time in between so that you live with a family rather than living just in like the sterility of an orphanage. Did you have a foster family as well? No, I just lived in the orphanage. Did you? Yeah, so my uh, my Australian parents told me the first time they saw me, they're like, oh, this fat baby rolling on the ground. Oh. So just laying on the ground. So <laughs> the back to the ground just like looking out and they're like, oh, that's our son. And they pick me up and they turn my head around and my head's completely flat because they never to- turned me. So <gasps> I have a flat head. It's, oh it's my I've grown gosh. my head, but it's quite flat. And they never Magic. turned me, the bastards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, you poor little bubba, little no. dumpling baby. <laughs> oh, no. Little Dunlop. The marshmallow Mom, baby. Michelin baby. Oh, you were so cute. By the way, those photos came through this morning. I was like, holy fucking shit. You are adorable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the flathead thing makes sense. They're like, oh, they thought I was brain damaged. <laughs> they thought like, what's wrong <gasps> really? with his head? Yeah, they weren't sure. And yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's very... <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So one thing also I will say, as we start to get into the biological parents thing, I don't know about you, but my default language is my parents here that other people sort of say you're adoptive parents or you're Australian parents. Mm. Mm. They're just my parents. And my brother is my brother and my grandparents are my grandparents. The only reason I am saying adoptive in this episode is so that people don't get confused because we'll be talking about both. But normally, mm. like there's, you know, some, someone asked earlier whether you ever feel like left out or a disconnect. I never felt that way. I have always felt like they're the f- only parents I've ever known. They're the only family I've ever, never known. I never am like, oh, meet my adoptive mum. I'm like, that's my mum. <laughs> but I will call her my adoptive mum today so that you guys know who I'm talking about. Are you? What's yeah, your yeah. feelings about that? Oh, totally the same. I say mum is my mum. And some people actually do ask me, oh, you're your real mum? Yes. And I'm like, yes, that's my my real mum. Yeah. So, so you, is your dad like Asian? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And they're like, yeah, you should be, mate. No, I, I don't make him feel too bad. It's always a funny thing. But they always say real mum or real dad. Oh, always. And I'm like, but they are my real parents. Your parents are like, who brought you up and who you have all your memories with? That's. Yeah, it's weird when people are like, have you met your real parents? I'm like, yeah, they're right over there. You want to go say hi? Yeah. Like those Caucasian <laughs> people over there? <laughs> they're like, are you serious? Are you yeah. just a joke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, am I being punked right now? <laughs> Lovely neighborhood. It isn't news to anyone that episode 102 with Dr. Richard Harris is possibly my personal favorite episode of all time. One of my ultimate messages here is that it doesn't matter how unusual or unique your personal combination of yay is, someone out there is looking for exactly that and nobody could ever have known that an anaesthetist cave diver was the key to one of the hardest rescue missions of our time. They say you remember exactly where you were the moment you heard about a disaster, like 13 young boys getting stuck in a cave almost impossible to reach for 18 days. It may just be me, but I feel like the details of just how impossible the rescue was went over my head at the time and I never really grasped that they may not survive. 
So what I do remember was the moment two years later when I realised the dive just to reach them was so hard it took the life of a Navy SEAL and could take 11 hours return, that it was through coffee-coloured water in tunnels so narrow it touched both their chest and back at the same time, that the boys had to be sedated to prevent panic in the multi-hour dive and restrained to stop their limbs getting cut off by jagged rocks, and that even the divers themselves weren't sure they'd come out the other end until hours later when they did. These and so many other details of this impossible feat still give me goosebumps. It's one of my favourite stories to hear over and over again. And now you can watch the mission unravel in the incredible new film based on the true story, 13 Lives on Prime Video. Directed by Ron Howard and starring the likes of Joel Edgerton and Colin Farrell, you'll get goosebumps, spine tingles, tears of despair and tears of hope. It is streaming from August 5th, so it's out now. Do not miss out. So when did you decide, as you guys can obviously tell, we both know that we were adopted from Eastern Child Welfare, which is now called Eastern Social Welfare Services, which is still in Seoul in the capital in Korea, in South Korea, and that you can go back and you can still visit the babies, you can still see the orphanage, but, you know, a lot of people will go back in order to find their biological family. So when was the first time you went back and was it for that reason? Yeah, it was for that reason. I didn't know a bar of Korean. I don't know about you, but I didn't do well at learning Korean. No, me neither. I learned like twinkle, twinkle. I'm like, that's about it. Yeah, I I learned 안녕하세요 and 모시사요, which is probably not the right thing. It's probably like a swear word or I was meant to say delicious because I'd eat food a bit. Moshisayo. Oh, that's so cute. And probably with like a really bogan accent also. Like, yeah. Moshisayo. Yeah, yummo. <laughs> I went over, I was about, I was about 10 years ago now and I went solo and it was weird because I didn't know any of the language so I teed up from Australia before I left to meet with some people in Korea which I knew through Compassion the uh, child sponsorship group and I was like planning to meet up with someone then they're going to help me out just get around town and and translate for me because I had no idea and so I went to Eastern Child Welfare and I didn't know what to expect I rolled up with a lot of emotion in the taxi I remember and I was like this is where it all started I'm heading to, yeah, he's about my identity. Like, it's like I had an amnesia. Like, there's a part of me that just don't, doesn't remember. Mm. So I just sat in this room where these two really nice Korean Koreans got a folder out, a manila folder of photos and a, a document. You know, this is this is strange. So that fat baby photo I just showed before was one of the photos my mum had to send back to the orphanage because she needed to send progress reports every three months to show wow. that well, I was I was nourished and I was happy. I didn't know that. So I, that trip I learned a lot about what my parents had to do with the deal to be able to get have adopted kids and they told me the crazy story about my life she they said that your birth mother left a note and didn't leave a social security security and she she told her story a little bit and i was like going oh my god this here we go and the story goes she lived in a place called chola bukdo which is a couple of hours out of seoul in a rural area her mother passed away when she was younger so she grew up as the elders looking after her dad and her two younger brothers. And my father was some delivery guy from the city and delivered goods to that farm all the time. And he slept over one night and went on his way and she had no idea she was pregnant. Had no <gasps> idea she was pregnant because she wasn't educated and had no mum telling her. And her description was five foot two and fat. They said she was fat in the description <laughs> with an F-A-T, not a P-H-A-T, like a cool fat, not a curvy, not a beautiful. It was oh fat. And God. I'm like, what is wrong with you? That's my mother, you mother. <laughs> Don't 
talk about my mum like that. <laughs> That's such an Asian thing. Like, you know how they just sometimes have no tact? Like, they're just like, oh, oh, very chubby, cute, chubby cheeks. I'm like, mate, come on. Like, you know, we want honesty, but not that much. <laughs> and it actually makes sense because her size hid the pregnancy symptoms for her. Like, she didn't know what was going on. And it's not uncommon with uneducated yeah, uneducation, low education to, to be like that. It's happened in Australia and stories I've heard of, of people who have been pregnant and didn't know it. But she didn't know. Like, I, I'm surprised because you feel the kicks. I felt mm. the kicks of my wife's belly. So I don't know what she's thinking. Maybe the chicken's still alive from the <laughs> night before. It's still <laughs> <laughs> that's horrible oh Matt that's horrible <laughs> sorry mum but I'm like what are you thinking anyway she this is the crazy thing I thought this was gotta be a lie because I, I, it sounds like a movie mm. she actually hit labour in the barn floor stop it in her barn no she hit labour on the barn floor and the next door neighbour freakishly heard her crying and delivered me on the barn floor and I'm like, what the frick? Are you si-? I'm like, I'm just astonished. I'm like, you serious? Like, you know how much can go wrong when you have a kid? Oh, my God. Do you know how many people, mothers and children have died at childbirth? So I was, it was a miracle that I had been delivered and someone had heard her cries and it wasn't her dad. And I say that I'm Asian Jesus in a lot of ways because I was born <laughs> on a barn floor. In South Korea. In in a lot of ways, like so many ways. I I love that. Were you you in a manger? Like (laughs) I'm gonna say I was. Let's let's just add a bit of Hollywood in there now. Absolutely. I mean you walked on water the first time. That's how you got to Australia. You walked here. Yeah, I I swam. (laughs) Some people have asked me what part of Korea from you from north or south. I'm like, Oh my god. I was actually going to ask you if that comes up all the time. Are you from North or South? I'm like, are you an idiot? I always ask him like, bluntly, are you an idiot? Like I have to be the best swimmer in the planet to get across from there. I know. It's wild. I'm like, I would not be here because people can't actually go in and out, but cute, cute, wild. Um, So this is fascinating because I have also been back. I went back when I was four to get my mm-hmm. brother, who is also Korean, same orphanage, different biological families, same birthday. <gasps> what? You got the same Did birthday? Did I not tell you that? Yeah. You got the same Oh, my gosh. Are you – wow. So, you know how That's the Koreans trippy. believe that, like, the child chooses the family, like, not the other way around? Do you know that Koreans don't count your one da- – your year one when you're born? Yeah. So, you're yeah. not zero – you're not first month. You're, you're one. So, we're an older – we're actually in Korea a year older than what we are in Australia. Yeah, which I just choose to ignore because gross. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but so, I went back when I was four. Don't – like, I was too young to kind of really understand what that really meant. Then I went back when I was – 12 for the soccer world cup when it was in Korea and Japan. And that was when I first kind of understood that I was a foreigner there. Like straight away, I didn't like, no one thought I was from Korea. Like Australian kids are so Mm. like loud and crazy. And all the Korean kids are like really neat and refined. And, Mm. but I met, we both met our foster parents that, that time. And I understood the significance of that because I knew that she'd had us for the five months that we were, you know, kind of between being born and adoption. But I don't think on either of our paperwork, any notes or any details about our actual birth parents. So we don't have any of that information. That's blown my mind. Yeah. I assumed that there may have been something left, but a silly of me because you're right. Like some people get left in phone boxes literally and found Mm. I was my mum actually this is the weird thing my my mum told me that I was left in a phone box and I believed that my whole life that I was left in a phone box and found by the orphanage then I went to Korea and they I wasn't left in a phone box I was delivered by my birth mum with a note and then she left and I'm like mum what the hell happened there like <laughs> What miscommunication, she's like, dude? She's like, no, I swear that they told me that. I'm like, that's my life. Like, I believed that my whole <laughs> life. And they said, I wasn't left in a phone box. 
in a shoebox or something like that. Anyway. Like cute story, like very Hollywood. Yeah, I've just lied to a whole bunch of people I've shared that story to. (laughs) So, yeah, we don't sort of easily have access to that information. And often I was told the birth father, because of the circumstances of your adoption, is often never listed on the paperwork at all if they even knew who he was. So the question I often get asked is, do you want to find your biological parents? The first answer is the information isn't readily there, so it would be Mm. extraordinarily difficult given it was no digitization of records. The records at the time were terrible anyway. The details Mm. of the birth father probably aren't there. The details of the birth mother, it was, again, rural. She's probably moved house a million times. Might not have been her real name. Like you've got to really want to find them and be able to deal with Korean bureaucracy from like 35 years ago to do that. And I haven't had the desire. If you told me I could just go there and find out, I would go there and find out. Mm. But given it's like a 20, 30 year kind of life consuming task, I just haven't really felt the need to do that. But did you end up finding out, like being able to actually mm. contact your birth mother? No, nah, I couldn't. They didn't have enough information as well yeah. and there's like 80 million people plus there now <laughs> so it's just i'm just trying to find one person with the wrong name and i mean they she left her first name and left my name there like this is beyond nongu that's my name mine's che sunga che sunga che sunga che sunga oh that's nice does that mean yeah. criminal? No, joking. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it means- absolutely it does. Loose cannon in Korean. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's even harder in Korea? I don't know if you guys listening know this, but there's really only like five surnames. Park, Lee, Che, which is actually Choi, spelled C-H-O-I, that's my surname. Kim mm. and like a few others, but almost everyone is Mrs. Kim or Mrs. Lee or Mrs. Park. In Korea. So mm. it's even harder because it's not like there's a million different surnames and it could be a really unusual one. There's just like one jillion of the same surname. So it just would be so difficult. So my answer is always like, yes, if they were in the next room, I'd love to meet them, ask them about, like, see what they look like. But given that it's like so much effort, I'm not desperate. Mm. I'm at peace with not being able to meet them. Mm. I'm at peace because that trip actually created a lot of closure for me just to close that loop. I'm like, oh, it's just too hard. And I could just wish and I can hope and I can pray and that's that's about it and just be grateful for – just got to learn to be thankful for mm-hmm. where you, that you're chosen. Totally. Yeah, that's – so I'm at peace with it too. Yeah, that's really mm. nice. That's really nice. And I think it's like as you just mentioned then, that the reverse of being at peace with it is that it does take – most of your lifetime to this point to grapple with that identity. So I'd love to sort of ask you now about that identity piece about, you know, when you do go to Korea, I went back again with Nike a couple of years ago and it was the first time I'd been back since I was 12. And again, it was so interesting to get to like the motherland and not feel any connection to it. Like I felt such a deep emotional connection, but I didn't look at people around me and go, these are my people. And they didn't look at me and go, she's Korean. Like, I automatically look like a tourist. I look out of place, like I dress out of place. It's interesting to me that no one's ever been confused that I was a Korean from Korea. Like it's so Mm. obvious. And that identity piece is really interesting because you kind of grow up, like as you mentioned, literally as a Caucasian person in your brain with this full-blown mm. Asian exterior. And it's it's weird. Like, it's unusual. Yeah, it made me, it made me go very deep. I, I was often, my mum would get concerned with how deep I'd get just with really? how I would think. So I started thinking very early on. I, I, I was always attracted to older people because right. I just my own age people just – I just I just craved certainty and craved to be able to discuss deeper topics. And I think identity is it's a crazy topic at the moment because you have a national identity, you have a, a a peer identity, a professional identity, and you peel back all the layers of the onion and be like, what really is my identity when, you know, I'm a daughter, I'm a son, I'm a, I'm a friend, I'm a husband. And... What I've come to realize is I'm really chosen. That's my theme in my life. Like 
someone's chosen me and you could choose to go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm earning my identity. That's, that's mm-hmm. an interesting concept. I earn it and I wear my identity and here's, I can show my identity. But really, I'm, the fact that we were chosen from Australian parents that did, never met us before, yeah, and we had not done anything to earn it is the definition of grace. Oh. Grace is unmerited favor. So that's why grace is not a word thrown around anymore, but in Christian terms, grace is giving favor and showing love and sacrificing for someone who doesn't deserve it. And that's what our parents did for us. So I feel like that's part of my identity. That's like as core as I can get to. And I think the quote I live by is, we're not born winners or losers, we're born choosers. So we get to choose our identity. Who I am is whose I am in a way. It doesn't make sense sometimes when I say it, but it makes <laughs> no, sense I get to it. me. I get it. Mm. That's so interesting. You sound like you've had a quite similar experience to me in that it isn't, uh, you know, sometimes people get very much when you say you're adopted, they get like, oh, like is that trauma for you? And I, I don't find it particularly traumatic because I don't remember being torn away from a situation. You know, if so, it's only ever represented a great life and the theoretical possibility that it could have been different. But it does take some grappling with, but you get to a place where you can feel grateful for it and live this beautiful life. But I do find that one of the harder things when I was younger was dealing with things like racism or bullying without actually feeling like I matched that person. Like my identity was as this Asian Australian, like now we would say a person of colour. And even now when there's, or you know, much better social discourse around diversity and, Mm. you know, not discriminating against people based on being a person of colour. Sometimes I feel like I'm speaking about my experience, but I feel like a fraud because I'm like, but I'm not a real Asian. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't feel like I can speak on behalf of all Asian women because, like, I didn't grow up having that experience of having weird food at lunchtime or, but I did get bullied for being Asian. You know what I mean? Like, did you have that mm. when you were younger where you were kind of like teased, but you were like, wait, I'm white. Like, you don't get it? Yeah, yeah. I think in primary school a lot I was I was picked on and even physically bullied by some kids and stuff like that around that. And it's interesting you say that. Like, it's because we don't have the culture of Asian culture in us. Like, that's the, the culture is a big part of it. And so, yeah, I was picked on for being – especially in Newcastle where there wasn't a lot of us around. Like it's, yeah. you go visit Sydney and I swear that was the first time my mum lost me because it's like it's, <laughs> everywhere you're surrounded by the invasion of the Asians. <laughs> like, wow. It was such a, an eye-opening thing going to Chinatown as a young kid going, wow, wow, what is this? Yeah, yeah. especially from Newcastle. You would have been like, dude, oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, I always found that weird to sort of have parts of an Asian identity ascribed to me but internally not really resonating with a lot of them mm. and like reconciling that somehow. Like I remember being at pains when I was younger to not be friends only with Asian people so people didn't assume that I was like your typical Asian kid. I don't know why I cared about that but like I, I was like, no, I'm like a Asian. Like I really was at yes. pains to prove that I was for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, in people's minds here and when I grew up, it was I think now reflecting back, maybe everyone generalizes in stereotypes and they have a certain attitude toward people who look a certain way based on what they've been given and to believe through their society and their upbringing. So I I definitely think they're confused too as much as anyone. Mm. But we, as, as a young kid, you're just vulnerable because you're not, you're not taught how to defend yourself or what to say and what the rules of engagement are. But now I do and I wish I could go back and Jackie Chan them all in the head. <laughs> yeah. That's it. the thing we were talking about. I, I can't remember if we were recording or not yet maybe we were, was that like the the weird thing is that you get a lot of the like the benefits of having an Asian heritage without really feeling like you had to earn them. Like my skin, I don't have Botox yet. And I'm like, I'm 33. I'm pretty happy with that. Right? Yeah, we, we look good. We being look old. good. Like we have no, like hardly any body hair. We're like, are you good at maths? I'm pretty good at maths. Like pretty good at maths. You know, there's all these things that like do come with a from your like ethnic heritage that I'm like, I've got good hair, got good nails, pretty good skin. Like I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. And your work ethic, do you think that's 
a innate or nature nurture with your work ethic? Yeah, that's a really good question. I have always been fascinated by what's nature and what's nurture. I never had, I don't know if you did, but my parents are so not tiger parents. They were so not like making me do tutoring or making me choose particular subjects. Like I just never had pressure to be anyone other than who I was just developing into. And they were so supportive of the arts. I was a ballerina when I was younger. And I I think mm. they showed me a very good work ethic. So I think they contributed to it. But I also think I was kind of born like crazy. Like I need to do 800 things at a time. So I don't know. I think maybe it's both. It's weird. Mm. It's weird that we have to ask ourselves that all the time. Mm. So now that you've got to the stage of having your own biological children, as we started with, it's this fascinating experience of having a blood relative for the first time. What has that been like? And especially not having any medical information about fertility or, you know, the, I think the, the medical information is like a big gap where maybe I would like to sort of have a little bit more information. Oh, I'm so glad you raised that because I, I could be a walking time bomb. I mean, I don't know about you, but I haven't – I've been a typical Aussie bloke, I think, in the sense I haven't checked myself for a lot of my of, of any signs of because I'm not sick on the outside at all. I don't have any symptoms. I don't know if I've got you know hereditary background problems and things like that. So that's a big part of the mystery of of Matt, and probably a big mystery of of being Sarah is. <sighs> Yeah, we get dealt a hand of cards biologically. I, I don't know if they're good or not, but my my kids, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, my just thinking back through my daughters, it's a really small observations, but I'm a really easy. I wake up early in the morning very easily and go bing, and I can just talk. <laughs> talk talk and at night I can go to bed really late and I've always been like that as a person and my my leg always moves like I, oh, I'm yeah. always moving something and my mum always used to get really annoyed at me saying you've got ADD or something so I'm like do you need to go to the bathroom I'm like no what are you talking about and there's legs just moving and my my one of my daughters has that and it's just I can see I can just see these weird things come through like that. That is so magical. My wife can't wake up early to save herself, really. Like she's so, so, so struggles, not a morning person. And one of my daughters is like that. So it's a very small, small, small observation that I'm seeing little things come through as I get older, which freak me wow. out. Wow. Do they ask about the Korean side? Like do they ever get curious about Korean culture and heritage in a way that you're like, I got no answers, dude? Ah uh, no, not not at the moment. My oldest is six, and my youngest is three. My six-year-old does know about me being adopted because their grandparents are white, so they're like, "Yeah, she's already smart enough to be like." <laughs> it's a, it's a math, I can't, it doesn't make the equation. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> and she gets sad about it. She's like, "Oh, so your Aww. birth mum passed you over the baby to the your your mum and dad. Oh, you're a little baby," and she's sympathetic and empathetic already toward that which makes her love her daddy even more which i definitely will have up my sleeve as a card one day just remember (laughs) your daddy (laughs) that is so special i can't even imagine the next generation of like them not actually being adopted so not having that Oh, wow. Like innate understanding, but then still having to explain to them very young what it means and why, yeah, their parent looks different to their grandparent. Like it's so interesting. Oh, my God. <gasps> yeah, the family generation line, the timeline tree, it changes. Like it's, it was all white for the Purcells and then these Asians came in, like these adopted Korean and Taiwanese people came in and then all of a sudden the Purcell uh, family tree started looking half Asian and quarter Asian and there's Asian genetics coming through the Purcell line now. And say for you. So cool. Oh, my gosh, that's so fascinating. I could literally talk to you about this all day. I feel like we need to have a catch-up if not volume one, two, and three of this episode. But I'm aware I've already taken an hour of your time. So before we wrap up, can you just quickly tell us, and thank you so much for sharing so openly, but can you just quickly tell us what you've gone on to do? I mean, I'm sure like a million things, but I want to hear all about the amazing, like where we can follow you now. You do these amazing, amazing talks. You've worked with some fascinating people. You do a bit of everything. So 
Mm. What is Matt now? Oh, Matt's just a dad who is I know I, I've never you know Matt now is he used to be like too many things to too many industries mm-hmm. and now he's um I've always been an entrepreneur by spirit and I mean that by sheer quick story when I was in year eight my school said you're gonna get we're gonna go to a boys camp it's gonna cost 120 bucks I'm like, great, I'm excited. We're going to pitch tents. We're going to learn how to make a fire. We're going to roll the teachers down the hill. Great. So I took the note to my mom, said, listen, 120 bucks. We're going in two weeks. She's like, can't afford it. I'm like, 120 bucks? Are you serious? Pay it. She's like, I don't have any money. I'm not going to borrow it from your dad. I'm not going to borrow it from your uncle. I'm like, I'll mow whatever lawn. So I don't have any money to pay you. She's like, oh, yeah. So I'm like thinking, how the hell can I make this happen? So I went to the school principal and asked the receptionist, oh, can I meet with the principal? What for? What did you do this time? I, I just want to talk about this camp. And I asked for a payment plan for my principal. Stop. Yeah, and, and then she, and then he called my mum. He said, let's have a meeting. He said, yeah, Matt, Matt's raised an interesting point. If you can't afford to go to camp, if Matt washes the sides, blocks, windows for the week, we'll send him to camp. I said, yeah, give me the bucket and sponge and I'll do it. So I worked my way to year eight camp, but I made it freaking happen. So I've always been like that. If I want something, don't tell me it costs too much. I'll find a way. And so that's led me to do music and help kids around Australia for 12 years speaking about my story. And now, and then I'd marketed that whole time since the dawn of MySpace and um, oh, OG, OG, that shows how age, hey? And uh, <laughs> I think my, my superpowers is I've been able to transfer whatever I've learned from anything I've got good at into everything I can. So mm. many people, they, they learn a skill, say like guitar or something, and they just go, that's it. That's just yeah. for guitar. But I'm able to go, nah, practicing or the, the, the pattern recognition from that can apply to making videos or, or campaigns and standing out. So I had, to, I had to really hustle my whole life to get a good gig. And now I'm working with some really cool people, like some brands and people that I had seen on TV or had had on my wall even going, oh, man, one day I'd love to meet that person. And it's incredible to be a whisperer in the ears of kings and queens. That's my type of thing now. I just advise a lot of key people and brands where they should go and how to position themselves so they can be the best they can. And that's that's what I'm doing now through my creative agency and a whole bunch of companies that I'm involved with. So I never thought I'd be a, a business person. I thought I just was a creative person. But you can't just be an artist and it's really hard to be an artist without making it into a living and a living from being an artist. Mm. So I had to apply that year eight mat to the <laughs> art and be like, yes. And that's got me a really great life. Oh, Matt, that's amazing. Where can we find out more if people want to follow you and learn about your business? Well, you can hit, no, um, it's so spooky. <laughs> I <laughs> well, want you to spruik. <laughs> now, just follow me on Instagram, Matt Purcell Official. I call it official because uh, someone stole Matt Purcell. They hacked my account one time and I'm like, I had to make it official, something different. So, <laughs> Matt Purcell Official and mattpurcell.com and my creative agency's Mentored Media. So, that's the creative agency that we help people with. Amazing. And very last question for you. You've already shared an incredible one, so you're allowed to use it again. What's your favorite quote? I think... There's two quotes I'll say. One is, from one thing, use 10,000 times. So, like, from one thing, use 10,000 times. So, if you've learned one skill, find how you can use that and transfer that into 10,000 other usages, usages. Another quote is, whether if you're 14 or 90 years old, you'll never be this young again. <laughs> I love that one. That's so true. Oh, thank you so much for this chat. This was so interesting and enjoyable and we have to smash some plates again in real life soon yeah maybe we can just go to my kitchen or you can go to your kitchen or my (laughs) kitchen either either works amazing bring your kids they can help yeah they'll definitely love it that was that was rebellious i felt so wrong doing it but so good i know i'm a psycho what are we doing 
That's why we get along so well. I mean, psychos unite. <laughs> Thank you so much, Matt. Uh, thanks, Sarah. Oh, my gosh, this was just so special. I rarely reflect this level on being adopted, but when you're chatting with someone in the same position, you can just explore so much more about the experience. I hope you guys enjoyed it and found it interesting. And as I said, if you have any other questions, I'm super open about it, so please feel free to ask. Just send a DM or an email as usual. As I always ask of you, beautiful Yeaborhood, I would love you to shower Matt with love and thank him for his time and openness tagging at Matt Purcell Official and the show so we can keep growing the Yeaborhood as far and wide as possible. And of course, I never ask often enough, I always forget, and I forget to do it for other shows, but if you have been listening and enjoy what you hear, pretty please leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you're having an amazing week and a seizing your yay.